No, no, it's just being copy edited. And there's still lots of. Yeah. Uh, I went to U of T, did my, but uh, I don't know. I I visit them and from time to time. So I thought in the uh, second half I would uh, broaden it out and uh, look at uh, empire building and decolonization uh, and put some of this history that we've been looking at in, in a broader uh, context. Here's a, an interesting image of uh, a imperial capital, um, Amsterdam. Uh, and the wealth, of course, derived from uh, empire building leads to fantastic pr proliferation of, of art. Um, these uh, hats that they're wearing, of course, uh, the fur industry in Canada was largely devoted to creating these hats. The beaver uh, were coveted for their for their hair, take the hair off the skin. The hair has barbs. You, that's that's what you make felt out of. That that these hats are are, are made from. So uh, we've we've been looking at, at empire in different ways. Um, I've talked about this text a few times, but uh, here's Donald Creighton's view of Canada as essentially a commercial empire of the Saint Lawrence. 
He looks at Canada as largely a creation of entrepreneurs in Montreal who exploit the uh, transportation system of the St. Lawrence River up into the Great Lakes. And of course, the Northwest Company went up into the uh, Saskatchewan, the Athabasca region, uh, over to the Pacific. We've talked about uh, the Empire of the Bay. <coughs> Just different uh, different ways that we've talked about empire. Uh, we call this map. This is the this is the initial um, trade zone created in 1670 um, by Charles II. Um, uh, here's an interesting image from the days of the uh, East India Company. And uh, as I see as I see this uh, history, um, it's important to consider the uh, role of the privateers, the uh, here is uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth the first. Uh, giving some sort of uh, honor to Sir Francis Drake. Sir Francis Drake was essentially a pirate, plundered the uh, Spanish galleons, uh, especially in the Pacific. He went around uh, the world in 1577, 1580 in the Golden Hind. Uh, so the authorization of pirates to legally conduct their plunder, their theft, uh, pirates become privateers. Privateers acquire a, a certificate or some kind of sanction, and, and Elizabeth was famous for this, uh, giving her, her favorite pirates uh, authorization to continue what they're doing, but now on a, with a, some kind of legal sanction from the sovereign, and the qualification is that you give uh, a percentage of your take to, to the monarch. So this was the way the British monarchy built itself up. The English monarchy built, built itself up. Um, and as I see it, then it doesn't take a big stretch to, uh, to go from this to, to authorizing the same kind of plunder on land. So the East India Company... Uh, becomes the means whereby uh, Britain uh, or England and then Great Britain uh, infuse and inject their influence into uh, into India. The uh, the uh, Dutch do it with the East Indies uh, with their own East Indies company, and uh, so this is this is part of the uh, system of empire building. Um, but when you think about empire building, there's many ways we can think about it. Uh, I've, I've been talking uh, over the course of this uh, class, uh, frequently referred to Marsha McLuhan. Actually, uh, I remember sitting in this chair. I, I tried to get Marsha McLuhan as a, a supervisor of my minor field when I was working on my PhD. and. Uh, in fact, he agreed to do it. Uh, 
and then uh, members of the history department didn't they didn't like him they thought he was a fraud they thought he was uh, some kind of charlatan they thought he'd uh, violated the rules of the academy so it was quite interesting that here's one of the most famous academics Canada's ever produced and yet you know there was this uh, hostility towards him at home but, uh, uh, yeah a charlatan, uh, somebody who uh, um, takes advantage of situations for private gain and compromises uh, truth, honesty, and integrity for uh, for opportunism. How anybody got a better definition? I think that's a charlatan. That's how I describe it. Con man, yeah. Um, advertising and public opinion manipulation, uh, I think, is is an aspect of empire building. Uh, I found this in a secondhand book sale, and I think this is kind of extraordinary. Um, it goes back to uh, 1951, and so uh, here is uh, McLuhan. Uh, looking at uh, advertising and calling it the folklore of industrial industrial man and uh, this type of study uh, there's now a field called popular culture for instance is fairly common now but in 1951 this was this was pretty cutting edge this was pretty uh, um, Leaving the beaten track and and looking at things that uh, you know uh, most snobby professors wouldn't think uh, would merit your time or consideration, right? Looking at uh, junk publications, even the junk of junk publications, the advertisements in in publications, um, and uh, so here he uh, he's looking at a cover of the New York Times, for instance, and he says. Uh, henceforth, this planet is a is a single city. So there's your global village. Eh? He didn't quite uh, he didn't quite get that far yet in 1951, but uh, you can see the seed of the concept uh, is there. Okay, understanding America. So he he looks looks at advertisements. Uh, here's an advertisement uh, about oil companies, and uh, says uh, thousands of oil companies mean competition. Competition means progress. Progress means better living for everyone. So obviously the oil companies in this advertisement are seeking to counter the view that they're a big monolithic monopoly. Uh, and certainly that was uh, the case in the days of Standard Oil, uh, Rockefeller. Uh, they're trying to demonstrate that they've left that legacy. Yeah, Doran. Um, I don't see a date, but the overall publication is 1951. So uh, take one person who has everything to himself, 
and you have a monopoly. Take thousands of firms, so they're trying to show that the oil business is in fact composed of many thousands of firms. Uh, Superstation opening soon. Uh, strive to outdo rivals, and you have uh, the oil business. Yeah. You want to you want to elaborate or? It's an Arab guy with his harem. Do you want to go back? We'll just show that image. I guess that would be the image there. It's interesting, eh? They're uh, obviously not Arab women. So that adds another element to it. So McLuhan, uh, he asks in, in this text, uh, in fact, the, pic the picture story really says, understand our kind of uh, rivalry and you understand why your car is somebody and you are a nobody. So that would be the classic kind of thing that I would recall him saying. You know, it was, a lot of it was uh, jokes and puns. Um, <clears throat> and here he says, uh, what Kipling was to the ag aggressive British imperialist, these ads are to our domestic economy. They act as a sort of firing spark in the internal combustion engine. So Kipling is generally seen as the poet of the British Empire, the romanticist of British imperialism. He wrote uh, in 1899 uh, the poem, The White Man's Burden, asking that the United States go and invade, um, uh, go and invade uh, the Philippines, take over the Philippines to elevate those colored people to a higher level of civilization. That was the basis of the white man's burden. But it's interesting that he, he puts advertising in this context. He says uh, down further, uh, yet much of the industrial world's uh, traditional folklore consists of the arts and songs and dance and agriculture of agriculture of nomadic peoples. But an industrial world cannot produce the same folk forms as can a society in a state of harmonious equilibrium with the soil and the seasons. Yet much of the industrial world's entertainment and public expression is just as unconsciously expressive of its own inner life. Our hit parade tunes, our jazz, are quite as representative of our inner lives as any old ballad is of the past way of life. And it's interesting when you think of uh, jazz and the hit parade, when you think of um, the songs that were about to come into prominence. Uh, Elvis, I guess, in 1951, hadn't quite uh, had his day. But Elvis is well known for bringing the African music, the blues, uh, the black music of the United States, and giving it a level of recognition. Because he's white, he's a crossover figure. Uh, so much of uh, American music is rooted in African music. 
mean, it's a classic expression of, of globalization, of the marriage and hybrid nature of, of these meeting of identities and cultures. Um, here he, he, he riffs on uh, Freedom American style. It's an it's a ad for Quaker State motor oil. And basically, uh, he asks, uh, looking at the standardized equipment of this family and their standardized pattern of living, discuss how far they can be said to be free as human beings. Consider whether a uniform educational system can be said to make for freedom. Does freedom mean the right to do and be, to be and do exactly as everybody else? How much does this kind of uniformity depend on obeying the orders of commercial suggestion? It takes money to conform in this way. Does conformity, be, conformity become an ideal to strive for? So he's uh, looking at this and saying, you know, it, it, it professes to be freedom American style, but really it's conformity American style. Uh, and it's expensive to uh, have all of these accoutrements uh, these uh, instruments uh, of, uh, of conformity of uh, what's perceived as, as the good life. So um, the recognition that uh, uh, just as Kipling was uh, uh, giving uh, romantic form and in a way promoting the British Empire and trying to build up public uh, support for the British Empire, so advertising is, is a way of uh, building empire uh, building commercial empire. Um, here's an image uh, that I thought uh, might suggest another kind of empire. This is uh, from a picture book about uh, Native people in Quebec. But I thought this is a dramatic image. It's a picture of a baby boom of, uh, of uh, a kind of empire organized around religion the Roman Catholic religion. Part of the uh, frustration, I think, in the Islam world is that there isn't a central, there's nothing equivalent to the Vatican in uh, the Islamic world. Why does that create uh, frustration? Because if you're in of a certain view, you want uh, a state structure. Because what I've heard about the reason that Islam has spread so wide and so um, and been so embraced in so many different cultures is because it has a lot of flexibility. It, mm -hmm. it, 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 like it's it's a, exactly that lack of rigidity. Yeah. Of course, it you know it had in the Ottoman Empire. It it, it once had a a central state mechanism. It had a, an, an agency of state power, and. Uh, you know, one view of a particular view of Islam is that the effort is to find a way to to recreate some kind of center, some kind of a, a center of authority, state center of authority for for Islam. I'm just uh, as as we talk about decolonization, uh, I'm I'm looking at the other side and saying, you know, there, there's different ways we can think about empire. Certainly, we've uh, talked a lot about the American Empire, and uh, this is a very uh, famous uh, 
article by uh, Michael Ignatieff, who just got elected to Parliament. Michael Ignatieff, I would say, has been uh, a propagandist for the American Empire, has been uh, um, an apologist for the American Empire. He has credentials as a kind of left-wing um, figure, a uh, figure who has some uh, rights about human rights. So his his basic approach is uh, in this New York Times article, uh, which was published in January of 2003, was uh, we might as well get used to the reality that the American empire exists. Um, and he would like to actually see the American empire become more elaborate, more developed, more subject to, to a rule of law. Canadian or American? He's a very famous uh, Canadian. He is uh, going to run for head of the Liberal Party. He's um, he's uh, a, you know, a high-profile media figure in the BBC. He's a North Atlantic uh, figure, um, and uh, you know it's going to be interesting if if he if he becomes a, a credible candidate for head of the Liberal Party. How is he going to explain? Um, this uh, uh, point of view, this interpretation, um, you know, he, he was uh, in favor of the U.S. invasion of Iraq where the Canadian government, government wasn't. So he would lead the Liberal Party more towards uh, its continentalist roots. Um, his father was a famous diplomat, He's a very uh, handsome <coughs> fellow. Um, I wanted to when we were when we were doing this first uh episode with uh with um Tony Seed and Alexa McDonough was there. This was a text that I wanted to draw attention to. Yeah. There's a comment in the in the chat room. He's Tony, tell the whole story. Ignatius is a prominent human rights lecturer at Harvard and has been for fifteen years. Who who's it coming from? Luddite. Who? Luddite? Luddite? I never know how to say that word. A Luddite? That's what he calls himself. Yeah. Can, can you ask Luddite where, who he is or where he is? Or Luddite, of course, is the people against, you know, modern technology. Uh, Michael Ignatieff, uh, yeah, he's a Harvard professor. Uh, I saw him prominently featured in the... Uh, bombing of Yugoslavia, NATO's, NATO's bombing of Yugoslavia. He was uh, promoting that war uh, in the days when Conrad Black um, used his control of the of, of that those newspapers. He was um, he was uh, uh, working within that within that organization. Can I go to the, the board here? I'll make this one. Yeah. He says he should know it's Ron. What's that? He says he should know it's Ron. I should know or who should know? Yeah, you should know who it is. Yeah. yeah. But he also writes it's Ron. It's Ron. I don't know what, what what's wrong, but anyway, there's there's a Conrad Black. Uh, the name Ron, R-O-N. Ron Howe. Okay, Ron Howe, yes. Yeah, Ron, uh, Ron Howe. Hi, Ron. Okay, so uh, 
Ignatieff is a you know a big big name. His father was a uh, I think they're uh, white Russians. Um, his father was a, a major diplomat. Uh, I've seen Ignatieff uh, on BBC shows. Uh, Ignatieff had a very high-profile job as a professor at Harvard, and uh, he has left-wing credentials. And so we expect to see right-wing think tank figures uh, doing propaganda for the Bush regime for the invasion of Iraq. But you, you're more surprised when you see left-wing figures, uh, figures who ha are, have a, a profile as human rights experts, for instance. Uh, so his basic approach, like Neil Ferguson, for instance, Neil Ferguson, who, who wrote this text, which I've been using pictures from, uh, Neil Ferguson, who did a BBC series, and this is the text based on that BBC series, Ignatieff and... Uh, and Neil Ferguson both take the view that the United States should formalize its imperial role, should uh, structure the American empire with a, a system of law, um, and and you and and be uh, and we should frankly understand that the United States represents the major force for good and evil, for good or evil on the planet. So we might as well face up to that reality, and encourage the United States to to formalize its involvement in large parts of the world, especially the Middle East, to put in place the formal structures of empire. So that is uh, the arguments that uh, Ignatieff will be bringing to the race to see who will become the next leader of uh, the ruling party in Canada. Am I doing okay, Ron? Is, uh, is, he, is this uh, a fuller... Uh, Representation. He said with chuckle. Chuckle. Okay. Uh, here, here's another view of. Uh, uh, this is, of course, Conrad Black, who's seen uh, dark times recently. But here he's uh, going to a costume costume ball and uh, dressing himself as a as if he's some kind of archbishop in in the church. Big part. <laughs> That's uh, Barbara Emil, who. Uh, who is a columnist in his newspapers and uh, is uh, his wife. And uh, so this is when they're riding high uh, before they were accused of a kleptocracy. Uh, here's uh, another view of uh, empire, uh, Gore Vidal. How many of you know Gore Vidal? Have you heard of Gore Vidal? He's a very powerful uh, almost iconographic figure in U.S. Uh, U.S. Uh, culture. He's written uh, many novels and uh, history books. Um, this is uh, an article I wrote in the Globe and Mail, uh, a book review of of Louis Lapham's uh, book Gag Rule uh, on the suppression of dissent and the stifling of democracy uh, um, and uh, Gore Vidal's uh, text, Imperial America. So both these critics of uh, the American empire, they're both uh, patricians. They're both very elite, rich Americans from elite, rich families. Um, Gore Vidal is uh, you know, he's, he's gay and he's assertively uh, gay. Um, 
anyway, they, they, um, they've left their class position to take a, a very uh, penetrating and critical look at the United States. Uh, I was going to draw attention to this concept of Canada as uh, the central point of nexus in the North Atlantic Triangle. And this text is first published in 1945. Uh, and uh, so this North Atlantic Triangle um, draws attention to the fact that Canada is has an interesting relationship to the history and culture of imperialism. Uh, Canada has played the role of interpreter of Europe and interpreter of Great Britain to the United States and vice versa, interpreter of the United States to, to Europe and Great Britain. Canada is situated at the nexus point between these two powers, Great Britain being the, the former superpower, the most powerful country on earth, the United States being the present superpower. So the, the, Canada has an interesting role in, in the meeting place, both geographically and temporally, you know, in terms of time between these, these two imperial systems. Um, here's a, here's a, a view from uh, Benjamin Barber that uh, uh, what we're seeing nowadays is, is uh, an empire built largely on fear. The, the exploitation of fear, and he's quite critical that although you may be able to exercise power by making people afraid of some enemy, uh, in fact, uh, you, you can't uh, liberate people's full creative capacities with that kind of kind of strategy. Here is uh, another critique of uh, the U.S. Empire. Um, the the author of this is Mike Schur. Um, and Mike Schuer was assigned to watch uh, Osama bin Laden in the years and months leading up to 9-11. And uh, he basically uh, criticizes uh, the United States for its imperial hubris, for uh, its arrogance, uh, for its uh, uh, embrace of power to the extent that it will neglect now uh, the truth. Um, here's another uh, play on the concept of, of empire, uh, an empire of wealth, the epic history of American economic power. So uh, this, uh, here's, here's some other images. Uh, I think I've, Use this image before, but these are. Uh, this is an account, uh, a pictorial account of the largest economies on Earth. So the United States, uh, as it was in uh, uh, 2001, was by far the largest global economy. Then Germany, then the United Kingdom, then Italy, then Japan, then France, then Exxon Mobil, then Walmart. Then uh, General Motors, then Ford Motors, then the Netherlands, then Brazil, then Daimler Chrysler, then Royal Dutch Shell, then BP, then General Electric, then Mitsubishi, then Canada, then Toyota, then 
Mitsui, then Belgium, then Spain, then Citigroup. So you get the idea that these uh, corporate conglomerates now represent concentrations of wealth and power, and with that comes political influence. Uh, and uh, except for a, a handful of large North American and European countries, uh, these uh, these biggest of the corporate conglomerates are now bigger economies than most countries. Oprah? I, I don't see Oprah yet, but let's uh, just keep going. Uh, Citigroup, Sweden, Nippon, Enron, AXA, Australia, IBM, Volkswagen. So, so, so obviously this is a, a different uh, view of, of empire. It, it suggest, suggests a different uh, view of, of empire. Uh, here's another view of. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, it's a flawed list. It must be up there. Although, you know, you always hear about Microsoft in re relationship to the wealth of Bill Gates. But it's possible that Bill Gates just owns a huge part of Microsoft and Microsoft. It's a good, it's a good point for, uh, for study, for some investigation. <clears throat> so, uh, So I want to, uh, you know, now connect this. Uh, okay, let's let's also uh, one more image of empire building, or one more group of images. Uh, <clears throat> so this is uh, the final few images from the Confederation Life Insurance uh, collection of uh, paintings to celebrate the. Uh, the Empire Building of Canada or the Growth of Canada, the first St. Lawrence Canal, Captain William Twist, builder of the first lock in North America, inspects the new project at uh, Coteau du Lac, 1781. The United Empire Loyalists arrive. Uh, the Toronto Purchase. Uh, Captain George Vancouver. Uh, first Parliament of Upper Canada, uh, first Parliament of Lower Canada. I mean, this is this is striking in that uh, it's all white people, it's all uh, people of European ancestry, and that's the way nation building is seen. Um, but here's an image, one of my often referred to images. This is the Aboriginal government as it was in 1910 at the uh, Six Nations community near Brantford. Uh, uh, Confederacy chiefs and council house about 1910. Uh, note flags with, is, is there something coming up on the chat that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
know a lot of doctors, including U.S. reservists, are not doing anything that the Jews are advocating. That's all about anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, it was when George Bush was in Ottawa, and uh, it's quite interesting. And then he proceeded to talk about training CIA officers. Um, anyway, here here's an image. I think this image is significant in that it shows a kind of marriage of indigenous peoples and uh, Aboriginal culture. So this government uh, prevailed until they sent their ambassador to Geneva in, 19, in the early 1920s, seeking some sort of international recognition and blowing the whistle on Canada, claiming that Canada was not ascribing to this uh, tradition of crown uh, treaty making and treaty alliance, treating the people as, as, as allies of the crown. But here you see uh, you know, a marriage of um, the British Empire with an Aboriginal culture. Yeah. This is a government of who or what? This is the government of the League of the Haudenosaunee. This is the government that uh, Lewis Henry Morgan wrote about in 1850 in the League of the Haudenosaunee. This, this is the, 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 as it existed in 1910. This is the government that uh, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels got quite interested in through their reading of Lewis Henry Morgan. Uh, 